0: But the truly terrifying thing about aliens may not be the way they look, but rather the way they think and act. Who knows what horrible terrors await behind those 16 eyes and razor sharp teeth. Science fiction is full of examples of terrifying aliens, and since Halloween is coming up shortly, I thought we would take a look at some of the more common notions and tropes of terrifying aliens and ask how realistic they are. As well as contemplating some ways aliens might truly be scary to us simply due to our different evolutionary paths. Of course, aliens aren't likely to look human like they often do in science fiction movies and TV shows, or even humanoid. That's mostly a byproduct of limitations of makeup, costumes, budgets, and sometimes imaginations. We get our fair share of jump scares on amusement park rides where some horrible tentacular or spined abomination swings out at you when you least expect it. That's probably the closest to what we'd expect to find, rather than neo human or cute and cuddly. While amusement rides are designed to be scary, they're not truly terrifying. For terrifying, we need to go beyond amusement park and look at alien behavior. It is the alien mind, not the alien body, that will keep us up at night. We rightly fear the unknown. There is nothing we can say for sure about alien behavior. We only know when we encounter one, and even then that's a sample size of one. However, the prerequisites for evolution to be a technological species offer us a few high probability basics. In the 1995 novel The Killing Star, we are presented three of these. First, we know they'll be interested in their own survival, because nature has little use for something which does not, and they will care about that more than anyone else's survival. Whether they are so kind to others that they'd risk their life to try to help them, or so cruel they'll go a thousand light-years out of the way to wipe out other civilizations, their own survival will be a higher priority than ours. Second, we know they will be tough, because you don't claw your way to the top of the billion-year deep corpse pile of Darwinian evolution by being a wimp. Third, since those first two are both logical deductions from natural selection, they would deduce that the first two laws apply to everyone else too. Now this deserves some add-ons and caveats. We can assume they were probably intelligent and curious by nature, as they developed technology. We can also assume they probably have a notion of cooperation too, however, collaboration can take many forms. For instance, we said they would be more interested in their survival than our own, but that assumes they have some sort of social structure and that it's species-centered, and that's a very iffy assumption. While many animals, especially mammals, will avoid lethal fights with each other, but are often much more hostile to other creatures, a social structure isn't necessarily their whole species or limited to their species. I suspect a lot of us place a higher value on our pets than many members of our own species, subconsciously at least, and I suspect a lot of dogs would attack or even kill one of their own if it was threatening their adoptive human family. My cats also seem to perform my company over each other, who to be honest I don't think they like at all. Probably more to the point, it is very easy to imagine humans forming alliances with aliens in a unified civilization that did not include all humans, and being willing to go to war against some other faction that included humans to protect their alien allies. We don't really mean species when we are talking about this notion, but more one's family or nation and civilization. In this sort of context you have two end goals in competition, personal survival and survival of the group. In its simplest form, that's survival of the species, But that can be a good deal narrower, like the family or tribe, or broader. It could even be fairly perpendicular, like advancement of certain principles or ideology. If someone throws themselves in front of a bullet to save their leader, particularly in a modern context where they may never have spoken more than a word in passing to them personally, it certainly wasn't about the end goals of either personal survival or survival of the species, but rather a matter of principle or ideology. Now one can stretch that point, it's not about if something actually does benefit the species, but rather if the person doing it thinks it does, and most of us who are very driven by our principles and honor do tend to think it benefits our species or civilization to act that way. So too, there is a long tradition of bodyguards being picked from one's extended family or tribe, who obviously benefited their member being the leader of others, or for loyalty to be ensured by some policy of executing or exiling guards and their families if they fail in their task. Most of our principles do have some basis in our biology and basic wiring, but often are wired more directly into our developed mind, the bit of you that actually makes conscious decisions, so you can have end goals that will influenced by those core two, personal survival or group survival, but still take priority in your decisions, even when that new end goal becomes at odds with either or both of those two core end goals of survival. That biology does influence ethics though, albeit an advanced civilization might find a way to remove those if it wanted to. As an example, in Larry Niven's known space setting, from which we get books like Ringworld, we have two races we interact with a lot, Pearson's Puppeteers and the Kazinti. The Kazinti are very much your warrior hunter pack critters and we'll return to them later, but Pearson's Puppeteers are rather sneaky and cowardly, though openly friendly to others. We are told at one point they have three sexes rather than two, but that one is non-sentient. Later we find out that this is only sort of true, as they are like wasps, one sex implants an egg in a creature and the other fertilize it, and the egg grows and eventually hatches in that critter it was laid in. We discuss that more along with some parallel cases in our episode Parasitic Aliens. One can argue that is no worse than eating a cow, and given that they are herbivores themselves means they probably kill fewer animals than a meat-eating species does over a lifetime, but it is the sort of thing that can heavily influence one's attitude toward others. On a similar note, in Ian Banks the Algebraist, we encounter the Dwellers. This is a long-lived gas giant dwelling sentient and technologically advanced species Interestingly, the dwellers don't consider their children to be sentient until they pass a certain milestone, dwellers actually hunt their own young for sport. A creature that lays large litters rather than one or two kids as humans, and many other large mammals do, might also be very callous towards its young, and some species that laid eggs by thousands would be expected to result in sibling cannibalism. You might think at first that they may not be aliens you really want to strike up a friendship with. Morality presumably is based on reason and compassion, but is likely to be influenced a lot by that biology, and our own morality inside our shared biology, between culture to culture and era to era, already is a pretty wide gulf but might seem narrow on the galactic stage. Aliens might have a fairly compatible set of end goals to us, although how they achieve those might be radically different. To work with an alien intelligence will probably require us to become very understanding of extreme moral differences and hope we don't get too many nightmares waking us up at night over that decision. End goals, incidentally, are essentially the ultimate goal of someone or something, and we also have instrumental goals that are those goals we pursue in the advancement of that end goal, like having an end goal to be healthy and instrumental goals for obtaining that, like a diet or exercise schedule, and of course being healthy is an instrumental goal itself to further personal survival. I should also note that we are not wired with anything as explicit as personal survival or species survival like some core law, we just have a lot of collected impulses and wiring, and in general evolution favors those impulses, or wiring, which tend to cause you to act toward those two end goals. If we're talking something like artificial intelligence, which may easily be the aliens we meet, it might have much more explicit bits of rules, akin to Asmo's laws of robotics. See the Paperclip Maximizer episode for more discussion of the weird and counterintuitive ways various end goals might make something act and the possible instrumental goals that various end goals might spawn. We have to cooperate with each other so we are wired up that way. An alien might not be. We cannot assume it has anything but a rigid self-survival goal. As an example, some sort of hive mind might develop focused entirely on itself, since it needs no cooperation. We see something like that with Morning Light Mountain, in Peter Hamilton's Commonwealth series. It and its other species members do cooperate a little bit, right until the moment one of them gains an advantage that lets it avoid needing the others, in this case knowledge obtained from humans to construct wormholes, and the first thing it does is kill its kin by opening a bunch of wormholes to dump nukes through them. It really has no notion of species, and indeed the species making it up are no more it to that creature than we think of the various microorganisms in our body, or replaceable bits that grow back, like hair strands or fingernails, it can grow more of every one of its components, so none are vital and all are replaceable and none are people to it. When you get around to it though, it doesn't really have the same notion of people anyway, merely itself and other threats, which is anything not itself. This is our first example of a terrifying alien that is plausible, because there is nothing there to reason with, not because the creature is unreasonable. It probably is quite capable of reason given that it presumably developed all its own science and technology to get into space, but rather how it reasons is the problem. Its overriding goal is continuation of itself, which is aided by removing all threats and adding more resources and capability to itself to improve its own existence and chances to continue existing. Species that develop as individuals like us are likely to value diversity at least somewhat, even a fairly xenophobic tribe with genetic bottlenecking going on has to deal with psychological diversity if they want to advance, because a carpenter and a farmer, or a smith and a doctor, simply from their day-to-day life around that livelihood, have a noticeably different worldview that will affect all their thinking and their group needs to be able to encompass those perspectives into their collective ideology in some fashion to operate. In contrast, the big old single entity does not require cooperation. Some algae that grew into a neural network across some alien lake, and developed some infectious microbes that let it get into insects or fish brains and pilot them around it to build, protect, and expand its lake, and eventually become sentient and sapient, does not have partners or a social hierarchy, it just has itself, things it can effectively consume, and things it must destroy as being in its way. It simply does not have a reason to cooperate with others. Even if the boats had gotten the algae on themselves long ago, and transmitted to other lakes to spawn new versions of itself, it is possible those mini sentient lakes might become friends and allies, but they're less naturally predisposed to it, whereas we have packs and hordes and so forth long before sapiens as humans. If it has taken this perspective though, again it is reasonable, and in a universe where the speed of light can't be circumvented, it is aware that any colony it tries to found away from its homeworld is going to diverge from it, which would make the colony a competitor as opposed to an extension of itself. It is also presumably well north of Einstein on the IQ scale, given its single-handedly developed spaceflight, not to mention patient given its implied longevity and being able to pursue its goals for untoward millennia something we contemplated more in our episode Sleeping Giants, when considering how a hyper-intelligent and effectively immortal entity or civilization might act. I said such a thing is smarter than Einstein, but perhaps it would be better to say it's smarter than John Von Neumann, another genius who gave us the notion of the Von Neumann Probe, a relatively simple-minded example of artificial intelligence you could dispatch to go replicate itself and explore the stars, or alternatively, mine them for resources and bring them home so it might just take the policy that it won't make copies of itself but simple dumb resource gatherers who bring the materials home to fuel local expansion into some massive matrioska brain or birch planet equivalent of that entity consuming an entire galaxy in the process. And since it is implied to be biologically immortal, and probably has a consciousness stretching back to its primordial days, it may be very willing to spend millions of years consuming its galaxy in such a project it also by default has no concept of parents or children or an idea of inevitable death and replacement. Even in this case though, reasoning with it that such a policy doesn't make it well suited for a war across the galaxy, since its probes all have to be either very dumb or very, very reliably obedient, potentially allows some diplomatic options. It is also not stupid, It may simply not have any end goal besides personal survival and find other ones bizarre, but it will be able to comprehend the notion even if it views it with contempt. A common theme in science fiction dealing with lone hive minds is that they can't even comprehend that other species might cooperate voluntarily to mutual benefit, but remember, these things are always assumed to be very, very smart, So same as you or I could comprehend a device like the paperclip maximizer, whose end goal is to maximize the production of paperclips, even if we wouldn't view that as crazy, it probably can comprehend our own basic psychology and reasoning too. So there is at least room for the possibility of a diplomatic solution, predicated on it recognizing they can only stretch out so far and act belligerent before the difficulty of doing so, effectively expose it to a greater threat than stopping and possibly engaging in some shared endeavors. You probably have to negotiate from a perspective of mutually assured destruction though, and a forward-thinking example. You basically tell it that being limited to a single location it can't really back up, it is very vulnerable to attack, and it is far easier to destroy than create things of complexity like a brain. It is very vulnerable to things like relativistic kill missiles, and it knows it, more than a species like we would be if we were spacefaring. It might get us first but even if it is very good at preemptive strikes and has a lead of being the first species or entity on the galactic stage, it will know somewhere out there will be someone who will gain that strike capability before it saw them and have detected its policy, and will attack it first, especially if you tell it that your dying breath will be spent dumping all your energy into a loud omnidirectional transmission telling everyone what happened, who did it, and what their address is. Paired to that is the reasoning that it will have to risk ever more sophisticated machinery to venture further out in its resource harvesting and defense assets. It's rather hard to guard your border if that border is 10,000 years of signal lag away with something really stupid for instance, let alone 10 million years away in another galaxy, and it itself is not stupid, and we'll know that. Now the arguable exception to this is if we live in a universe where fast light travel or communication is actually possible. In which case that reach is extended, indeed in the case of Morning Light Mountain it was that specific technology, via wormholes, that triggered the critter to murder its rivals in its own planet and solar system. In that case it did have a species history of hostile cooperation, sort of like our example of other sentient algae lakes popping up, so such a critter might already have a basis for the idea of cooperation too. The next terrifying example is actually those von Neumann probes I mentioned a moment ago, because it is assumed they are simply too stupid for much reasoning, and too hardwired to a specific end goal to be talked out of it. A von Neumann probe, again, is a machine that can go to a new star system, land on some random planet or asteroid, and extract materials to build more of itself, we looked at that in more detail in our episode on self-replicating spacecraft. Such devices can be as smart as you can program them to be, but as we often say on this show, in regard to artificial intelligence, keep it simple, keep it dumb, or else you'll end up under Skynet's thumb. If you want to send something smart out into the galaxy, you need to be really, really confident in your mastery of artificial intelligence to send out self-replicating probes, smarter to think and reason, to distant star systems where they can operate by themselves and unmonitored for thousands of years. Otherwise, you have to worry about it coming home for a visit. Such swarms of self-replicators, be they very stupid to the point of being grey goo, or fairly intelligent, both represent major terrors. In the dumb case, there just isn't anything at all to reason with. It just has a simple task it goes about endlessly. In this case, disassembling planets to make more of itself, or whatever things it's also programmed to make, like ingots of metal, or power relays, or space habitats. Of course, if it is making space habitats, it's probably on the smarter side, but may still be unreasonable, Remember with our prior example, it still had an end goal similar to our own, it wants to live. Now you probably program your self-replicating machines with some survival imperative, but it is in service as an instrumental goal to something else, like making paperclips, and so you cannot threaten it or reason with it except in regards to that end goal. You threaten to kill it to diminish paperclip production, and it might respond to that threat. Again though, it has to be able to even engage in such reasoning. Our prior example of the lone mind could be reasoned with because it was very smart, able to design and produce advanced technology. It had invented from science it had discovered. Such self-replicating probes only had to produce advanced technology, which implies no advanced thinking any more than an amoeba has, which is a fairly advanced machine in many regards. Your upside there is if they can't reason, then it will be fairly strategically limited. A virus can be hard to kill, but at least you don't have to worry about thinking up opposing strategies on you though some sort of techno-organic virus might, and we see some examples of that in science fiction too, such as the Drock Plague in Babylon 5, which is implied to have some sort of limited networked intelligence capable of adapting to strategies intelligently. Such an intelligence doesn't necessarily imply anything like reasoning and thinking though. When it comes to alien threats we see in science fiction, that capacity for reasoning, while making them much more dangerous, is also what makes them a lot less terrifying on examination, if I have some species that delights in hunting an especially canny and intelligent prey, like we see in the Predator franchise or the Herogian in Star Trek Voyager, you aren't likely to be able to convince them that hunting sapient creatures is a more, at least not without essentially wiping them out as a culture, which is arguably no more more than outright genocide. However, you can explain you don't want to die, which they will hardly be surprised by, and would do all that you can to avoid that, which they also won't be surprised by or likely offended by either. If they're hunter-focused they aren't offended by you trying to kill them, because that's actually what they like about you as potential prey, the challenge. One strategy might be refusing to fight, removing the challenge, but they might opt to wipe you out simply to discourage others thinking that was an option. Another is to offer them something like virtual reality or artificial intelligence, and they probably already developed that long before encountering any other species. Which raises an important point, Such civilizations have to be stable and have existed before meeting other alien folks. Such a civilization has a lot of challenges all on its own, starting with how they cooperated in the first place to build a civilization. If they were all about the challenge of hunting the cleverest prey, then for much of their early existence that prey was each other. So presumably they had some sort of mechanism for dealing with that, like non-lethal hunts or some selection method or lottery for picking who got hunted. This might make them quite like the Kazinti we see in Niven's known space setting, very pack-oriented and very much a social hierarchy built on strength, but not unreasonable. Amusingly in that setting they grow much better at cooperating with other species over time, and the theorized reason for it was rapid evolution, as they kept losing in their wars with humanity and doing so with their most aggressive and hostile members doing the dying, so as to favor the survival of those more reasonable. A Niven takes some liberties with evolution, like making luck a trait you can breed for, and such an accelerated change of behavior occurring at a genetic level and without that species noticing it is fairly unlikely. However, you probably would have that occur long before they ever built a spaceship. Aggression is a good thing, depending on form and definition, and evolution will breed for that, but too much of it in too stupid a way is not a survival advantage, and certainly not one for a species aiming for a high-tech civilization based on many specialists working together. That's one of the more peculiar aspects of Klingons and Star Trek for instance, one often wonders how a race whose highest ambition is fighting everyone, including each other, ever managed to get any building and science done. More on that in a moment. As an interesting side note, intelligence doesn't necessarily lead to technology and civilization as we think of it. As an example, humans have pretty limited senses of smell compared to many other mammals, and given how stinky and smelly most early cities were, species with a better sense of smell might never develop them and the attached large capacity for specialization of work simply from not wanting to have so many of them and their waste products all squished together. A very small things might be a filter that prevents civilizations emerging, see our Great Filter series for discussion of that idea. Now hyperaggressive warrior or hunter races might just channel that somewhere else. I sometimes hear folks say humans of nowadays are less aggressive than our ancestors, or that it should be an aim for a future mankind. But that is a fairly dubious notion. We just tend to aim it in fashions less overtly connected to being a muscular pack leader with the best choice of mates. We generally fixate on instrumental goals that probably originate with the impulse toward that or the end goals of survival of self or species, but those instrumental goals just mutate into more of our core end goal. A person might take an interest in a sport to be more popular and respected, but over time that really becomes their true end goal to be very good at that sport, and likely the same for most other avenues. You strive to be the best at the thing you do, because it earns you a livelihood and respect and status, and often that eventually mutates into self-competition, as you mark how you've improved and start caring more about that. This, in many ways, represents the most terrifying possibility for intelligence, though, because not only can we shift our effective end goals to things like that, and possibly eventually engineer ourselves to be beyond biologically wired end goals, but all of those end goals we now have base themselves out of the need for specialist-based cooperation. In a post-scarcity civilization where robots are doing most of the grunt work and where concepts like starving to death or dying of disease or old age are weird historical concepts you've never encountered, that core desire to be the best at something and even to only judge your success against your own improvement might get pretty weird. Someone who has a talent for first-person shooters has no need to provide a living for themselves and all the time in the world to hang out in virtual worlds, and they might spend centuries honing their capacity at that skill. They also probably aren't too reliant on needing to keep a social norm, as they might easily have technology and resources sufficient to build their own spaceship small enough to fly around the galaxy, harvesting any raw materials they need, and producing the item they desire that's in the ship's inventory of schematics. That's not a civilization, but it's still an alien, and one who might interact with anyone encounters only for the purpose of finding out if they've got anything they can add to their constant virtual war or hunt. Assuming they keep it virtual anyway, they probably could have a stored copy of their brain somewhere, or several, or access to android bodies, and think landing on an alien world to shoot everyone one at a time was no different than slaughtering their way through a virtual ward. They don't care if they die, because somewhere on some lonely asteroid in deep space they have a copy of themselves, probably many scattered all over the galaxy, that would just wake up if they die. They also probably do not care if someone tries to retaliate against their homeworld for their actions, they have in many ways become like our hive mind example, a species of one, interested only in their goal. Their home civilization might not care, as it's not really even a civilization anymore, just a million factions with shared interests, or trillions of individuals each with their own goal, and little to no reason to interact with each other or walk together. Indeed I've mentioned artificial intelligence as a likely type of alien we might meet, and as I often say on the show, the term Artificial Intelligence is a pretty dubious concept that arguably already applies to us, and likely gets hazier the more technology you get. Some computer mind might be much more human in outlook than some person who delights in some personal instrumental goal and has had their brain tinkered with to remove distractions to that, like needing to sleep or ever getting bored of that goal or caring at all what others think of it, it really is not hard to imagine a civilization might even encourage a nascent form of that, like wiring kids out to be less distracted from their studies, or not care as much about the opinions of others to minimize peer pressure or depression. The hive mind examples also can't expand beyond their homeworld as their galaxy without needing to spawn copies that would diverge. In contrast, regular civilizations can't easily diverge locally as we are bound together by common purpose and common need that glue weakens when distance of space and time separates us and can also weaken when we lack a need for mutual dependence with sufficient technology. So it really isn't alien species we have to fear at all, as they are very unlikely to ever be some unified galactic civilization, just individual systems, groups, or even lone actors, all with different motivations and goals that might be very detached from anything we'd find reasonable. But then again, that just might be the way our own civilization goes, our descendants every bit the alien from ourselves, or each other, as any tentacular motor machine we might find on some alien world. Some humans might even choose to become such a thing, or something even more alien in body or mind, and they'd be much more likely for us to encounter than some alien originating from a distant galaxy. Actually, come to think of it, for humans to interact with even the most cooperative aliens will require us to accept morals and practices that are repugnant in our own cultures, or at least get very good at ignoring them. Such collaboration could go one of two ways, we could either become more tolerant or we could go further and drop out the far end of that tolerance by normalizing those repugnant practices and adopting them ourselves. Civilization is, after all, a thin veneer, and our own world has shown time and again that civilization's morals and ethics aren't fixed. Our alien interactions could result in us becoming the very monsters that are the stuff of our current nightmares. We probably need to be less terrified of aliens, be they benign or malignant, and more terrified of what we will ultimately become if we ever encounter them. Happy Halloween! So this will wrap us up for the month of October, and we'll get to our schedule for November in just a moment. But we had 7 episodes this month totaling 4 hours of show, 5 regular episodes, a mid-month bonus episode, and an end of the month livestream, and folks sometimes ask me how in the world I managed to get all that done each month. With the average book length being about 90,000 words, our episode scripts average out to about 3 books a year, not including recording them and doing the videos. And my honest answer is I'm never really sure. Some authors can do multiple books a year, like Isaac Asimov who wrote over 500 books. Some need multiple years per book, like George R.R. R. Martin. The big thing i share in common, and with other folks doing creative work in other areas, is generally having a rule about getting a certain amount done every day or every week, not waiting for the best ideas to come to mind by magic. However, there are a lot of things you can do to enhance your creative productivity and there's a great course on that by Richard Armstrong, The Perfect 100 Day Project, Your Guide to Explosive Creative Growth, over on Skillshare. Everyone has to find their own best practices for creativity and productivity, but you can pick up a lot of good ideas from others, and Skillshare has amazing classes on everything from productivity enhancement to creative writing. Perhaps you're trying to adjust to working in a new environment or just looking to pick up some new skill or hobby, Skillshare has a course for it. Whether you're a beginner, a pro, a dabbler, or a master, Skillshare has thousands of classes on a wide variety of topics from experts to help you learn. Skillshare is an online learning community for creatives, where millions come together to take the next step in their creative journey and members get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes, with hands-on project and feedback from a community of millions. If you'd like to give it a try, the first 1,000 of my subscribers to click the link in the description will get a 2-month free trial of premium membership so you can explore your creativity. Act now and start learning today. So as mentioned, that will wrap us up for October, but we'll be back next week to start November up with a look at how we go about becoming a post-scarcity Kardashev-1 civilization. Then the week after that we'll be taking a look at Interstellar Trade, before returning to the Fermi Paradox to look at the Prime Directive, the concept of civilizations who avoid interfering in other more primitive civilizations in the galaxy, of which we may be one. If you want to alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel. And if you'd like to help support future episodes, you can donate to us on Patreon or our website, IsaacArthur.net, which I'll link to the episode description below, along with all of our various social media forums, where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.